Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. We're in a series today called Hope Against Hope. Oh, I'm sorry, Hope and Anchor for the Soul. And uh, if you'll remember that we began a series of study earlier in the summer based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 that says, Now abides these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And we're pulling out the fact that there's three essential areas, very foundational, very fundamental, that if you want to grow in Christ, if you want to understand what it means to be a Christ follower and really be able to get a lot out of your Bible and get a lot uh, from, from the Lord, you need to understand what these three fundamental things are and you need to have them going in your life. And so we began to study. We started with love because it says now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, so we pulled it to the front. We talked about for a number of weeks how the foundation of everything God said all the way through the Bible, the foundation of everything God did and still does today is really based on his great love for us. Not just that he loves us, you know, marginally or loves us corporately. God personally and passionately loves every single one of us uh, as, as his followers. If you missed any of that, you can get the workbooks online. You can uh, go and watch our, our online services or you can get the podcast. Last week, though, we started the second part of this mini-series of studies called Hope. And uh, you've got a workbook out there. If you didn't pick it up, it'll have all the notes in it. Um, but last week, one of the things that we, that we determined that was really, really important, lots of teaching on love, lots of teaching on faith, not a lot of teaching on hope, at least not that'll help us to get our, our kind of our head and our heart wrapped around it. So we found out last week that the, the New Testament, the Bible word for hope, is very different than the way we use hope in the culture. The way we use hope in the culture is kind of a, you know, a desire, a wish. This is something we really want to be true. We're kind of crossing our fingers. Maybe it can be true. Wouldn't that be great if it was true? But that's not at all what the Bible means and when it says hope anywhere in the Bible. The Greek word for, Bible, uh, for hope in the Bible is elpis, and it means a confident an absolute solid expectation, and it's based on the person, the work, and the promise of Jesus. In other words, you probably wouldn't be expecting this to happen except for the fact that God said, here's what I promise you I'm going to do for you. Here's what I promise you Jesus did so that you can have access to, and if you'll trust me, then here's what I promise I would do. Once Jesus says that, it raises your expectation. You would have never thought this is possible, and even if you did think it's possible, I certainly don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I know me, but God said, here's what I want to do for you just because I love you. And I sent Jesus to pay for it, completely paid off in full. And all I need you to do is to believe it and to accept this from me. And the moment he says that and you get your head and your heart wrapped around it, it raises your expectation. You thought you were going to have to live here. And all of a sudden God says, no, no, I want to do, Ephesians says, exceedingly and abundantly, far above anything you ever asked or even thought about. This is where I'm headed. This is what Jesus paid for, and it'll raise your level of expectation. 
And it's a confident expectation that you can keep coming back to because no matter what's going on in your circumstances, you can come back and say, yeah, 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 but God promised. Yeah, I know, I know it looks like it's getting worse. I know it looks like there's no way this is gonna happen, but, but God promised, but God said, and you have that, that promise that becomes secure and, and assure for you so that you can lock your expectation is. I like to say it this way, and, and you had it in your workbook. Hope is God's intended future for us that's framed in by a promise given to us. So you can't just set your expectation wherever you want. You can't just say, well, I'm just hoping God's gonna do this. Well, maybe you can wish he's going to do it. Maybe you can really want him to do it. But if you said that to me and I said, well, tell me where, where did he say he was gonna do that? There ought to be a Bible promise somewhere where this is the reason why I'm expecting because God promised me, God said. Now, one of the things we did last week is we looked at, this is not a a new concept, it's not just the New Testament, it's all over the Bible, and you see it really prolifically in the book of Psalm, where you got David who wrote most of the Psalms, you got the sons of Korah that were part of the worship, you know, songwriters, you got Asaph that was the director over all the worship in the Old Testament there. They're all writing throughout the Psalms about how they put their hope in God. And listen to how it says in Psalm 42, verse 5, it says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? He was going through a tough time. Circumstances were pounding, were squeezing the life. Looked like there's no way that they're going to get out of this. He says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become restless and disturbed within me? Listen to this. Hope in God and wait expectantly for him. For I shall again, in other words, there was a time where I was praising and life was going good. I'm really being pounded right now, but I know that there's going to come a point again where again I'm going to praise him for the help of his presence. Why? Because my expectation is God will never leave me nor forsake me. I, I, my feelings tell me, what are you talking about? He's already walked away. You don't deserve this. You didn't do what you said he was going to do. Why should he would do what he said he was going to do? Because he said, even when I'm faithless. God will remain faithful because he won't go back on his own word. He's true to himself, even if I'm not true to him. This is the, these are the things we learn. So I ask you to turn to Psalm 103 because I want to unpack a little further for you. I, I just want to open your mind to when these psalmists wrote things like, put your hope in God. Not wish, not a desire, but put your expectation in what he said. I want to unpack a little more. This is what they meant. This is what they knew to be true. This is how they were living it out. And I want want you to kind of hear it this morning. So it starts in verse one. We're going to start in verse one, Psalm 103. Uh, We're not going to do a deep teaching on this. I just want to frame some things in to get your mind in the right place. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and listen to this. Forget not all his benefits. That means don't ever let them slip. Keep pulling them to the forefront of your mind. Keep them open like an insurance policy or something. And no matter what happens, you keep looking, oh man, we're covered. Oh man, I'm so glad he said that. Yep, yep, that's right there in that that, that line. I'm so glad he's gonna take care of that. It says don't let them slip. And it goes on and it starts listing some of the major components of the policy. It says who forgives all of your iniquities. This not only means that Jesus forgives all your sins, listen to this, this means that he cleanses you from, 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 uh, from guilt and shame and remorse, and he gives you a righteousness consciousness. So you don't walk into God's presence anymore like, you know, like beleaguered and you're just kind of slipping in the shadows because you're pretty sure if he's not mad at you, he's certainly not happy with you. 
He'll tolerate you because, you know, he kind of has to, but listen, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he washed you completely clean. You can walk in, Hebrews 4 says, with boldness and with confidence. You can have a righteousness consciousness where you're living your whole life knowing beyond any shadow of a doubt, no, God, God loves me. No, he's for me. No, I, there's nothing between us. I can walk right into his throne room. Listen, on my worst day, I can walk right into his throne room and he'll accept me into his presence because he forgave all of my iniquities. Jesus paid for this. Notice he's not done. He says, and who heals all your diseases. Listen, we, as Christians, we like to call Jesus the great physician, but, but we really don't always buy into that, right? We know he can heal, but we don't understand that all the way through the Bible, healing tends to show up linked with forgiveness of sin. Because Isaiah 53 says when Jesus died on the cross, he took care of both areas. And we don't, we don't always think about like that. And it's easier for us to not think like that because our sin's on the inside and forgiveness is on the inside where sometimes we're, we're suffering with something that comes to the outside and affects our physical body. And that's a lot harder to look at what's going on in our body and then look at the promise of God. Ah, that's a bigger wrestling match. And so lots of Christians find all kind of, kind of outs, all kind of exits. And, but listen, he says here, unapologetically, who forgives all your disease. By the way, if you believe that he forgives all your iniquity, and in the same breath he says and forget, heals all your disease you've got a real grammatical dilemma if you're going to interpret one as all then you're going to have to wrestle with the other because it's in the same sentence that, that's not unintentional by the way and this, that's not the only place in the Bible it's all the way through the Bible let's keep going who redeems your life from destruction you can find all kind of passages that talks about that God doesn't want you to be pressed down. He doesn't want you to be beleaguered. He doesn't want you to be in deficit or in lack in any area of your life. This is not how God's children, the king of all the earth, wants, that he wants them to live. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we'll pull it into the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, particularly in verse 8, we find out that God wants his children to lead, not to be drug around as a slave all the time. He doesn't want you to be. He wants us to be able to lend to people, not always having to borrow. He doesn't want us to be like that. That this is not the God we serve. He, he wants us to be overcomers, not to be overcome by our circumstances. This is all the way through the Bible. You say, wow, Pat, I don't know if I believe that. We have a real problem then with the Lord's Prayer. I mean, with, uh, with, the, with the Lord's Prayer. You have a real problem when you say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven. Everybody knows in heaven there's going to be victory. Everybody knows in heaven there's no lack, there's no poverty, nobody's depressed. It's joy. That's, what's he that's why it makes it it's heaven. But then we, the next line says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done right here or in heaven or right here on earth just as it is in heaven. See, we, we disconnect this stuff. And we disconnect it because we haven't framed in an expectation of what God said. We allow our circumstances and what we see other people are experiencing, that's what frames in our expectation. And then we come and we grab little pieces of God's word to say, but God loves us too. Listen, the Bible's really, really clear. Now, I'm, I know I'm a little passionate about this and driving it, and you'll see some things why, because this is so important. Your hope, when it says now abides faith, hope, and love, your hope is a hinge. And if you don't understand hope and you don't lock hope in, then your faith is going to struggle all your life. 
But if you can lock hope in, then you'll see that faith will proportion itself to hope. And we're going to look at that today. We're not finished with with Psalm uh, 103. I've got to keep going. It says, who satisfies your mouth with good things. That means God wants you to live a fulfilled life. He, He wants you to be always saying, man, this is so good. Even in the middle of challenges. You know, it's, there's such a thing as the good fight of faith. We're not just fighting all the time, challenges and trying to survive. He wants us to live a fulfilled life. Notice this, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Second Corinthians 4.16 says, even though our outward man is perishing, these physical bodies, day by day, especially when you get older, you start feeling the frailty of it. It says the inward man is renewed. I don't care how old you are, you should live with a sense of adventure. A sense of, man, you, you never believe what God's doing. I'm telling you, he's got me on this journey. God's strengthening me. He's growing me on the inside. And then when you start framing in that hope, you understand that. Let's keep going. And, and I'm going to read through these. I, I won't stop this time. But now he's going to expand. He's given you five different categories that you can start building your frame. But now he's going to kind of carry it out a little farther and say, let me, let me show you how God looks in these areas. Listen to verse, uh, the next verse. It says, the Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all who are oppressed. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Let me just stop for a minute. As we're reading who the Lord is and how he works, I want you to think about your Christian life and your experience. And what are you going through right now? Is this how you see the Lord? Is this where you're confident? No, this is how the Lord always acts. This is how he's responding to me right now. Do you see that? Verse 9, he will not always strive with us. In other words, other translations say he won't remain critical. He's not always judgmental. He's not always looking to measure your behavior in, a, in a, an exact critical way. God's looking at your growth. He's looking at what's happening in the overall in your heart. It says he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high, High above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far, or that's how far, he has removed our transgressions from us. As, as a father pities his children, some translations say, as a father is tender-hearted, quickly compassionate towards his children, the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame and he remembers we're dust. We could keep going. But the whole chapter is framing in, listen, this is not just somebody's wish list. This is who God really is. So here's a question that can start framing in so we can really receive the the study deeply this morning. When you say you're putting your hope in God, you're expecting God to come through in one area or another, is that what you mean? If you were writing this psalm, is that what you would have said? Is this what you know to be true about God? Or or is the hope that you say you have in God more of a, man, I I, I just really wish, I just really want, I just really need him to come through, but the confident expectation that he will come through because he promised he would come through, that might be an issue for some people. And listen to me, this is really important that you work this out in, a, in yourself because we learned last week in Hebrews chapter 6 in the first study, God was so passionate, God wanted so bad for you and I to trust that he was telling us the truth, that not only did he make a promise, God went a step further and God signed a contract. 
We studied that last week. He sealed it in the blood of Jesus. He can't get out of this contract if he wants to get out of it. And see, some of you are already like, oh, hold on, hold on, God's a sovereign God. Yeah, he can do anything he wants. And the first thing he wanted to do was to sign a contract. It was his idea. Nobody forced him into it. And by the way, you won't find anywhere in the Bible that he's trying to get out of it. He's trying to get us convinced so we'll step into the contract with him. Because once we step into the contract and it dawns on us, he locked himself in. When he says this, I can believe this. I can begin to put weight and base my life and my circumstances on this. And we saw last week how Abraham did this. And when he did this, it anchored him in. It locked him in to the promise of God. And we found out that if, he, if, Abra, if God did it for Abraham because Abraham locked in, then God can do it for us. It'll work for us. In fact, let me give you one more scripture before we get into today's focus. Listen, it has to work for us. It has to. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. A marvelous chapter. But listen to this one verse right here. It says, by which, we, uh, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Notice that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let me kind of give you another little paraphrase. You go look at other translations. I'm, I'm, it'll bear weight what I'm saying. What this is saying is God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises so that we can be partakers of a divine nature, but if you don't embrace those promises, you won't. That's the only way that you're gonna be able to partake of a divine nature and escape all the stuff that's happening in the world, all the consequences of sin, all the filth and, and the wickedness and the evil and the sickness, and you won't be able to escape that and experience a divine nature if you don't understand how to step into his exceedingly great and precious promises. This is no joke. Hope becomes your hinge, and so we're studying, and hope is really important. Well, today we're going to study that, that relationship between hope and faith, and here's what we're going to look at. Romans chapter 4 tells us that it's Abraham again. We looked at him last week in Hebrews 6. We're coming over to Romans chapter 4. And here the Apostle Paul is going to show us that even though God's promise was ridiculously impossible, completely opposite to everything that Abraham was experiencing, Abraham was able to anchor himself in the expectation and the truthfulness of God's promise. And once he did, then he was able to stay, to stay faithful to, to that promise and not be wavering all over the place. He stayed faithful all the way till the promise became a reality. And that's what we're going to study today. So open with, uh, to Romans chapter 4 with me. Now, let me just tell you, for those of you that are following in the workbook, some of what I just said, although I added more scriptural detail, was in that introduction. Uh, and you've got three truths there. We're going to get to those three truths, but here's what I want to do. I want to study the passage in Romans chapter 4 first. I want you to really see what the Bible's trying to get across. Once you see it, then we're going to jump over to the truths, and it's going to be like, oh, duh. Yeah, this is easy to understand because you'll understand what God's word is saying. So Romans chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 16. It says, so the promise is received by faith. Stop. For the first three chapters of Roman, he's talking about the promise and the promises. The promise is righteousness by faith, or we would say salvation. 
Salvation comes because you put your trust in the finished work of what Jesus did for you. You accept that he paid for all your sins, that he qualified you to be right in God's eyes. You're birthed into God's family. You're legitimately a part, a citizen of heaven now, and you're at part of the inheritance of all that God has, starting with Jesus, who's now our older brother, and you're somewhere down in the rank and file, but God loves all of his children. This is Romans chapter one, verse three. I'm sorry, Romans chapter one through chapter three. Chapter four now, he's saying, so the promise of salvation, but listen, this, is, this applies to all the promises. This is how you get in the door, and this is how all the promises are accessed. The promise is by faith, it's given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it. Everybody say, we're all certain to receive it. I'm telling, when, when you understand that, that kind of glues you like, wait, 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 I, I'm in that all. We're all certain. I mean, this is absolutely guaranteed by God. You will receive the promise if you do it by faith, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham's the father of all who believed. In, in other words, listen, the promises are guaranteed to, any, to everybody. Now, for time's sake, we're going to go to verse 18 because 17 puts a little historical note in there, and I don't want us to take the time to unpack it. You can read it later. Verse 18, even when there was no reason for hope. In other words, even when natural circumstances looked hopeless, like they were going the wrong direction, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Why? For or because God said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. In other words, even though it looked like this, this is just getting worse, it's so impossible, I can't wrap my head around I couldn't wrap my head around it the day that God said it to me, but I certainly can't wrap my head around it now because everything's going the wrong direction. And it said, in spite of all that, Abraham kept hoping. He kept confidently expecting, nope, I know it looks impossible. I know it looks more impossible today than it did last week, and it'll probably look more impossible next week, but I'm telling you, God's going to do what he said. He, kept, he just kept expecting, expecting, expecting. Why? Because God said to him. Because God promised he would do it. Let's keep going. It says, and Abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about 100 years of age. Now I want you to make a mental note because we're gonna come back. That's really important that they inserted that. He figured his body was as good as dead. You think? To be fathering children at 100 years? Yeah, listen, I'll, I'll back it up a little bit. God didn't even start talking to him until till he was 75. And listen, at that point, he and, he and Sarai had been married. They couldn't have any kids. They tried and 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 finally realized it's just not for us. Abraham's 75 years old and God promised him, no, 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 I'm gonna open this thing up for you guys so not only are you gonna have a, a child, you're gonna be the father of a nation. This whole thing will begin to, to proliferate and blossom and you're gonna be the father of a nation. We now know that he's called the father of, of, the, of, the Israel, of Israel, the father of the Jewish nation. And this is how it happened. But back then, even though he was 100, he just figured, man, it's, just, it, it's impossible in the natural. And so was Sarah's womb. But notice this, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that? Even though circumstances were going, instead of saying, yeah, but I'm just hanging on. Well, he wasn't hanging on. He was getting stronger. He's being more confident every day. 
every single day that looks impossible, he's even more confident that God's going to do this. And in this, in that respect, that he grew stronger in faith, that he didn't waver, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, notice this, God counted him as righteous. Now I want you to see this, see this word counted. It's from the Greek word logizomai. And it, it's an accounting term and it literally means to credit or to attribute to something. And here's why I want you to see that, because we can go back to Genesis, and, and I'll, I'll highlight a couple of things in a little bit. We can go back to Genesis, and we can see Abraham did a lot of things wrong. I mean, if you're just making a list, Abraham did more wrong things than he did right things. Made a lot of mistakes, lots of things wrong. But the one thing that Abraham did right was he put his trust in the fact that God is telling me the truth. That God doesn't lie. That God's faithful. If he said it, then he will do it. That's the one thing he did right. And because he did that one thing right, it says that God credited him in, in the ledgers of heaven. God says, oh yeah, that, that's the big plus. That plus outweighs all the negatives. And it goes on, it's important you see that because verse 23 says, and when God had counted him as righteousness, uh, as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. In other words, God was registering a spiritual precedent. God was saying, I'm not just doing this for Abraham because he's special. I'm doing this starting with Abraham. And anybody else, no matter how impossible it looks, no matter how, how unqualified you feel, no matter what statistics and everybody else says, including your churchy Christian friends, if the word of God says something, and you will lean into the word of God, the Bible says he will count that as righteousness and that opens the door and the access for God to be able to do what he promised he would do. I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I wouldn't say this because I, I don't have enough to back it up, but God said it. He says it was recorded for our benefit too, listen, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. All right, so that, that's a study in those verses in, in Romans chapter four that are gonna focus us today. If you'd like to turn in your workbook, we're gonna look at point number one then, three truths, but truth number one is that your faith will proportion itself to your hope. Now, this is really important because some people say, well, yeah, I have faith in God, but it's just like this broad peanut butter faith, right? You just spread it across your whole life and yeah, I'm just trusting God. But you're going through something intense or you have things that you, you really want or you need to happen and, and, and you're really kind of wanting to lean that direction and you say, but I'm trusting God. If someone were to sit down and say, what does that mean? Well, I know, you know, God, God's, he's big, he can do it all. Yeah, no question about that. But when you say you're trusting him, what does that mean? Because I bet you that means something different in the way you're using it than when you say, well, but I'm just trusting my friend. When I say, what does that mean? You wouldn't say, well, you know, because my friend, he's just overall good. You would say, no, no, you don't understand. My friend has contacts. He has a certain skill set. We had a conversation. He told me, don't worry about it. I got your back on this one. So I'm putting my trust in my friend. But I don't know what it is about us Christians. We won't get that specific with God. And yet that's exactly what the Bible tells us to do all over the Bible. We have to come and we have to grab hold of these exceedingly great precious promises because that's the only thing that's going to build an expectation on the inside of us. It's the only thing that's going to renew your mind to realize it in, on my own, not on my best day. 
I don't deserve, even if I somehow could pull it off, I couldn't keep it. I don't deserve this. But when you begin to see that God is that good and Jesus promised you this, you can say, boy, I raised my expectation because God promised he would. And when you raise your expectation, now your faith has something to move towards. You, you can't believe and trust God for something that you're not expecting him to do. And you can't expect him to do it if he didn't say he was going to do it. But this is, this is how these fundamentals work. And we, we got to stop genericizing them and diluting them and say, but how do we actually live this out? And this is exactly what he's telling us. So your faith will proportion itself to, uh, your hope will, faith will proportion itself to your hope. In fact, listen, until you allow your hope uh, to, to build your expectation, think about it, your faith doesn't have anything to attach to. What, what are you saying? Well, I'm just believing God. For what? Well, you know, because he's a good God. Great. What are you believing him for? Because you have a very specific thing that weighs on you day and night, night and day, keeping you up at night. Things that you're coming and, and, and being prayed for, you should, by the way, but things that you're, it's, you're carrying them in your heart all the time, and for you just to say, well, I'm just believing God. I'm just, I just have faith in God. For what? Because you don't see that in the Bible. The Bible doesn't just put the peanut butter across. The Bible zeroes your faith in and says, no, you have to be able to lock in and trust God in a situation or you're not really trusting. You just haven't developed the relationship. It's not your fault sometimes. Sometimes we just don't know. In fact, doesn't the Old Testament say that God's people are oftentimes destroyed because they just don't know? Lack of knowledge. Okay, so go back to Romans chapter four. Look at verse 18 again. This is Abraham. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Let's jump for time's sake to verse 20. He never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in that one thing, the fact that he was able to grow stronger in faith and no matter what the circumstance looked like, I don't care, I'm gonna believe God, I trust, I know God's gonna do it. He said he was gonna do it. He's a faithful God. It said in that thing, he brought glory to God. But go back, it says he never wavered. Here, here, this is really interesting, right? The Greek word for waver, whether it's in the New Testament or in the Septuagint, the Greek, the Greek word is diokrino. And it really refers to someone who's wrestling with an idea. They're wrestling with a perspective. They're wrestling with a set of variables and they keep on going back and forth and back and forth, but they're never really able to come to resolution. So maybe when you're in church, man, and we're singing worship and, and God's in the house, you're like, I know you're gonna do it. I know you're faithful. And then you get back to Monday and Tuesday and you're in the everyday grind and you see you know, what the circumstances look like and you're like, well, I, I just don't, I don't I know if you'll do it for me or not. And you're just up and down and up and down and up and down, but you're wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. That's what this word waver means. In fact, it's the same word in James chapter one, verse six, when the Bible says that if we need wisdom in any area, that we should always come running to God who gives generously, who will tell you more than you even asked him for and will never criticize you for asking silly questions. But come and ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? But here's the qualifier it says, but let him ask in faith, never wavering. For those people that waver are like the, the, the ocean or like the waves of the sea. They're up and down and up and down, up and down. And the last thing it says in verse seven, don't let that person who's up and down all the time, don't let them think they'll receive anything from the Lord, ever. 
Listen, not because God's mad at you, but because you're undecided. You don't know what you're expecting God to do. You can't figure out whether you're really going to trust God or you're trusting your circumstances. Something's framing in your perspective. Something's framing in what you think the future's going to look like, I promise you. Is it God's word? Is it God's promise? Or is it what's happening in the economy? What's happening in the trends? What's happening all over the world? Something is framing in your outlook for the future. And that's exactly what this saying. Abraham was able to get to a place where he locked in so that his future, his, his, his future was, was, was secure. He knew, nope, this is what God's going to do. And people are like, but it's impossible. I know. It's more impossible today than it was yesterday. But I know that I know that I know that's what God's going to do. Why? Because God said he would. Now, here's, what, here's what's also interesting. Even though we just read Abraham never wavered, that seems incongruent with the Bible because we go back to Genesis chapter 15 and we find out, what are you talking about? Ab Abraham wavered all over the place. This dude was in and out and up and down and, and trying to do it by his own strength. And hey, I got a creative idea. And he, he did not lock into the promise of God. Listen, until something happened. And I ask you to keep a note because it said in this that when he was about 100 years old, something happened when Abraham was 99 years old and it changed this man from the inside out. He didn't waver ever again. He locked in to the point, not only did he trust the Lord, he grew stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, more confident in his faith. And that brought great glory to God and that allowed God to do exactly what he promised he would do. In fact, let me just kind of give you an overview if you're taking some notes. We go back to Genesis chapter 15. We studied this, we referenced it last week, but we studied it extensively in our under contract series when we talked about the blood covenant how it initiated with Abraham, but it's all the way through the Bible and really climaxes in the New Testament where Jesus sealed the blood covenant with us. He signed a contract. So all of his promises are absolutely yes. First Corinthians says that. Absolutely yes. We don't ever have to doubt him because not only did God make a promise and he doesn't lie. If he said it, he's going to do it, but God signed a contract just to make sure. And so we see this all over the Bible, but here's the, here's the interesting thing. You can just go look at your Bible. In Genesis chapter 15 is when God shows up to Abraham, and Abraham's been wavering, 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 like, well, you know, maybe I should have this person, and maybe Eliezer, my servant, maybe because I, I just don't have a son, and I'm not sure how this is going to work out. And, a, and, and on, in Genesis chapter 15, God said, okay, go set the conditions because I'm going to seal a blood covenant with you, and he did. And we see it operating all in, in Genesis chapter 15, right? So we get to Genesis chapter 16 and we're saying, okay, he's got a contract now. Abraham's locked in and, and he's in faith, right? Wrong. After Genesis 15 that God signs a contract, in Genesis 16, Abraham decides to get busy with Hagar and have Ishmael. You're like, what? I, I, I might be able to understand that in Genesis 14, because you were like all over the place, man. You're just tossed everywhere. The circumstances are crazy. But in Genesis 15, you're the one, Abraham, who acknowledged that God signed the blood covenant. It's an explicit detail there. And you're the one who praised God at the end of it because he signed the contract with you. And you knew that you knew that you knew. And one chapter later, you're already off track again. What is going on? And so in Genesis 16, you find out that he has Hagar. Well, the next time that, that we, we have the conversation is one chapter away, but that one chapter is 13 years later. And in Genesis chapter 16, or, or 17 rather, 13 years later, God confronts Abraham, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, listen, 
I made you a promise, you were struggling with it, so I signed a contract in blood, and you told me you accepted that contract, now I'm going to ask you to come and commit to put your trust and your faith in me, and he told Abraham, from this day forward, I want you circumcised. I want all the males in your house to be circumcised. And you say, well, circumcision Well, circumcision is the cutting away of the flesh. And when we bring it into a spiritual connotation, it's pride, it's fear, it's unbelief. Listen to this. Anything that shrouds God's ability to produce the promise. In fact, we know that's true because in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, Paul's writing a couple chapters before what we're studying today that true circumcision is something that happens in the heart. That you open up and you allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to begin to cut away all of your fleshly objections, all of those fleshly obstacles that would challenge God's provision, that would challenge God's promise in your life, and you'll allow the confident expectation of hope to begin to take root and foundation and frame itself that God has an intention for your future and you're going to sign on board and get on board. Here's the amazing thing. Genesis 17 says, when Abraham was about 100 years old, some of your translations say when he was 99 years old, that God confronted him and said, listen, I signed a contract and you said you accepted it. Now I'm asking you to step up and commit yourself today to believe and trust me so that I can do what I promised he would do. I want you to cut away everything that shrouds the potential of this promise being produced and I want you to put your trust in me. Once Abraham did that, The Bible says from that point on, Abraham didn't waver anymore. Abraham made a decision that he was going to put his hope, his expectation, his trust in what God said just because God said it. And listen, it's important that you see that. That's what Romans chapter 4 is telling us. That's what we see happened in Genesis 15, 16, and 17. And this is exactly why Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, the chapter that that we usually rest ourselves in faith, says this. Now faith means putting our full confidence in the things that we hope for. In other words, putting our full confidence, cutting away any fleshly objections, cutting away any fleshly things that are wrestling with our mind where we can't figure out, do we, do we kind of ready ourselves and expect for the future based on what's happening in the world? Or do I stay acknowledging of that, but I am basing my future on what's happening in, in God's word, what he promised. Listen to me, until we allow to do that, until you frame in what you're expecting, your faith has nothing to attach itself to. If faith brings substance, if faith brings support, if faith is what, is what lodges itself and, and brings this confidence based on what you're expecting, if you don't have a clear expectation, your faith can't rise. So we have, we have Christians all over the place that believe that God can do everything because their expectation, their confidence, well, he's God, he can do everything. But Hebrews 11, 6 says there's the second part of the equation if you want to really please God. If you want to be in a relationship that's moving the way God wants it to, and that is you can't just believe he can, you have to believe that he will reward those who diligently seek him. And, and there's the questions that most Christians get hung up on. Okay, do you believe God can? Yes, yes, I know he can. He can do anything. Awesome, awesome. Do you believe that God will do it for you? Uh... And if you don't, there's one of two reasons why. Either you don't know what the word of God says, the promise of God. You won't, you'll never know unless you go find out. 
And once you find out, then you have the second thing, you're going to have to commit yourself. You're going to have to let the Holy Spirit work with you and stay with the word of God long enough to cut away anything that's going to shroud your confidence in the promise of God that God will do what he said. That's called growing in faith. You're going to have to let the Holy Spirit help you and wrestle with that. Every obstacle, and it looks super practical sometimes like, well, here's what you said you would do, Lord, but here's what the doctor says. Here's what you said you would do, Lord, but here's what the the economy says. Here's what you said you would do, Lord, but here's what that person said. You're just going to have to wrestle with that, and you have to make a choice. Do I believe God or do I believe this? In fact, Isaiah chapter 53 is is the whole passage on salvation and all of the benefits we read about in Psalm chapter 103, and it starts this way. Who will believe our report? There's the first question. God's about to tell you what he's going to do, but who's already made a decision, hey, whatever God says, I'm believing that. Or do you wait to see what God says, and then you kind of look over with the circumstances and look at your experience and look at how how do I feel about it and and what do I think that's really possible? And then you come back and qualify what God says. He says, who will believe our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? In other words, those are connected. Whoever will believe the report, you'll see the arm of the Lord go to work and God will do what he promised. If you don't believe the report, then the arm of the Lord is hindered because your faith will not receive what God's trying to do. This is really important and it has to do with hope. So number one, your faith will proportion itself to your hope. Here's number two. How do we frame in that expectation? You focus your eyes on the hope found in God's promise. Again, this is what Romans chapter four, verse 20 said that Abraham did. This is what he did. He never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger in this, and in this he brought glory to God. That's what he did. Back up one verse and he'll tell you how he did it. Verse number 19, and Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about 100 years of age, he figured, notice that word figured, He figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Let me read it to you, that same verse in the New King James Version. It says, he did not consider, not the word figured, but consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and, or some translations say, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. Whether you're looking at how that's translated, the word figure or the word consider, in the Greek language, it's the word katanoeo. And this is an important word because it means to lean in and to focus your mind to understand something thoroughly. It means when it came to these, 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 these conflicts, when it came to these things that were incongruent, well, God said this, but my circumstances say this, and statistics say that. I know, but God said that, but everybody's telling me this. Abraham didn't just leave it at arm's length. Abraham leaned in, and he made a decision. He sealed it at God's uh, requirement. He sealed it with circumcision. He said, I'm going to cut away everything that shrouds what God promised me he was going to do. And the New Testament says that's exactly what we're supposed to do in our heart. We're we're supposed to cut away anything that shrouds our ability to put our full, 100% confident. I know this, but this is what God said. Let me really be clear. The Bible never teaches us to ignore reality. That's not what it's saying. Doesn't say, you know, nope, that's not real. No, we don't live in denial. We look at all the facts. We study. We do our research. We understand just how impossible this is. We recognize that we have other people and other friends who are saying, ah, I just be careful because you don't want to be disappointed, you know, and, and, I, and I get why they're saying all that. 
But nevertheless, we keep coming back and we say, nope, I'm going to give God's unchanging, exceedingly great, incredible promise more time and more weightiness in the equation than I'm going to give everything else. I'll, I'll look at everything else and I'll say, yeah, this is really going to be a God thing. In fact, I'm convinced that's why Abraham grew stronger the more impossible it became because Abraham realized his options of trying to figure it out were shrinking till he got to the point where there are no options. Okay, now you, now you have a really clear choice. Either you just trust God for the impossible or, 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 or give up. Yeah, well, I'm not going to give up. And when he made that choice, then the Bible says that God was able to step. Let me show you one more thing in the third truth there that will help you to do this, and that is you fortify your hope with thanksgiving and praise. Listen to Romans chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. We just keep going through the same verses and pulling things out. It says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in his faith. How? Giving glory to God and thereby being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, now watch the progression here, okay? God made Abraham a promise. And Abraham was so excited, man, this is going to be great. And he just expected, you know, Sarai to be pregnant in the next few months. And nine months later, it's going to be exactly what God said. And fast forward, we got years and years and years, and it's still not working. And part of the reason, because Abraham's up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And finally, God steps in and says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to sign a contract for you. I want to just doubly convince you, doubly convince you that I'm telling you the truth, so I'm gonna sign a contract. And that seemed to work for Abraham in the moment. In the moment, God's in the house. He did what he promised he would do. I believe you fully 100%. And he was telling the truth until he went back and he confronted his circumstance. And one chapter later, Abraham once again is wavering. 13 years after that, total of 25 years, God finally came to Abraham and said, okay, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna settle this right here. If I'm telling the truth, I'm telling the truth. If you say you believe the Bible, then believe the Bible. Make a decision. Anything that, that's, that's creating obstacles, anything that's challenging your mind, all the information, all of those things that the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians is taking your thoughts captive because it's got another, well, yeah, but what about this? What about that? Listen to me. God said what he said. He meant what he said. And he's saying, listen, I want you to take all that and I want you to cut everything away that shrouds the promise. And he said, I want you to put your full trust in him. And when Abraham made that decision, not only did, did he make a decision to believe, but he made a decision to adjust and just start giving God praise and giving God thanks before it ever happened. Well then, if he's telling the truth, then why don't I go ahead and give him praise and thanks now? And some people are like, yeah, but pastor, that, that's kind of weird. Isn't that like, you know, lying or like not telling the truth when you're thanking the Lord for doing something he hasn't done? Well, let me ask you this question. If you're in a big bind and you're best friend calls and says, hey, listen, I, I know you're struggling here. You know that that happens to be my expertise or I've got the money to help you out there. So I'm coming over. You know, I can't get there till Tuesday, but I'll be there Tuesday with a check and I'm going to rescue you. Do you hang up the phone and hold everything in until Tuesday just to see? Well, maybe if you've been burned a few times, but most people will hang up the phone and be like, ah, ha, ha, ha. they'll dance a little jig. They'll call their family. You never guess what just happened. Remember that thing we were stressing about? We didn't know how we were going to do it. I just got a call from so-and-so -so, out of the blue. And he promised you start praising and you start thanking when the promise was given. 
And you keep doing that until the promise consummates itself and you're actually showing people, look, there it is, it's, it's done, it's behind us. It's a crazy, wonderful thing that happened. Listen, God's only asking the same. Can you give him as much credit as you would give the people that you're putting your trust in, your friends, your confidants, those legal advisors? Can you at least give God that much credit? When he makes you a promise, can you start praising and thanking the Lord right then? Because I'm telling you, when you do that, something happens and your faith begins to accelerate. Something happens and your faith begins to expand. It's like you're inflating the reality of what God said. And the Bible says that your faith will rise up and will give the support and will give the substance to the things you're expecting. And as you do that, the Bible says all of these promises will come to you because you receive them by faith. Here's my question I posed to you at the beginning. I'm going to pose it again. What are the things you're hoping for? Might be one, might be more than one. Things that are weighing on you. And, and in the middle of the night when nobody's around you, and you're the ones tears streaming down your face. You're saying, God, would you please, would you please help me? Maybe you used to do it more often and you're kind of tired because you just figured, ah, but every once in a while, man, inspiration, hope springs eternal. And you think, well, maybe God will do it now. What are those things you're hoping for? And when you say you're hoping for, what does that mean? Are you just wishing? Just really wanting and really needing? And by the way, remember God's so tender with his children. He gets his attention. But if you allowed what God promised you to begin to frame in an expectation, if you begin to, if you allowed it to begin to build you a base so that your confidence can rise, and no matter what happens and who says what, you're like, well, I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it. I don't know what avenue he's going to work through. But here's what I know, like I know my own name. God is going to do what he promised he would do because he promised it. If you'll do that, then it's counted to you for a righteous act. And God begins to work on your behalf. I'm not making this promise. I'm reading to you what the Bible says. God will do what he said he would do. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Hope you've been blessed and enriched, encouraged by the word of God. I'm going to close in prayer, and as I do, we'll go into a, another worship song. And, and I want to let you know, listen to me, we have to respond to the Lord. Now's the time if you've got some things you're working through and something in the scriptures touch your heart, now's the time to make an altar right where you're at. For some of you, now's the time as the song begins and the altar team comes to do what the Bible says. Come down and say, would you agree and pray with me? Because God imparts, God does things in those moments. So I'm encouraging you to respond to the moment this morning and not allow the Holy Spirit's words just to kind of sit and then drift as you go about the rest of your day. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.